You're listening to Indiana SRN, God's Word 24-7, and sports. This is Behind the Stripes. Thank you for joining us as we take an honest look at the men and women we call officials, the professionals who make it possible for us to enjoy the games we love. They are the authority on the field, on the courts, on the diamonds, and on the ice. Behind the Stripes is here to support our officials, athletic directors, coaches, players, and fans by bringing attention to good sportsmanship, strong leadership, selfless teamwork, and respect for others on and off the playing field. Now, let's join our host, Keith Myers, and his guest for today's show. It is Behind the Stripes, week number 18. Keith Myers with you, co-host Brenda Hilton. You can contact us anytime at Brenda Hilton at Brenda at officiallyhuman.com or my email address, coach at Indiana SRN. You can follow us also on Twitter at Indiana SRN. And with us today is the Executive Director of Michigan High School Athletic Association, Mark Ewell. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good to be with you. Good to have you. And Brenda, are you with us now? Or are you still, you know, are you still doing your hair? I'm, I'm still doing my hair, but that's okay. I'm here in spirit. So, um, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. It's uh, obviously a real honor to have you with us and and hear what what the state of Michigan is doing to kind of address the officiating crisis that we all know is looming and um, just kind of your role with the, with the um, association. And obviously I think was, I, I think I maybe borderline stalked you at the NASO summit a couple of years ago. Cause I'm like, that guy's really smart. I want to get to know him and I want to know what they're doing in Michigan. So apologies for the kind of, you know, non creepy stalking, but um, sure. I'm glad that we connected because I've, I've learned a lot from you over the last 18 months on officiating and what goes on at the high school level. So thanks so much for being here. I appreciate that. Thank you. Mark, yeah. there is a shortage of officials everywhere. Uh, and I know I, I'm in Indiana, Brenda's in Illinois, uh, you're in Michigan. Uh, what can we do to bring that gap lower than what it is now? So, uh, great to be with both of you. Um, you know, I, I, uh, just the really quick background, uh, was an on-field, um, official myself, um, since I was about 15 years old, uh, actually in baseball, got to work up all the way through, um, the big 10 conference, uh, worked a lot of college baseball as well as some small college football. And my dad is uh, still a registered MHSAA high school official here in our state in his awesome. early seventies. So Officiating has uh, kind of been part of uh, the Ewell family DNA for a, uh, a long, long time. Um, when I came to the office, I was our officials director for my first 13 years here. And, you know, almost every day that mission was to recruit, train, and retain officials. And uh, what I learned over that time was uh, the biggest single factor that drives uh, officiating numbers up and down is something that's completely out of our control and it's the economy. You know, we had record numbers of registered officials here in Michigan back in 2006, 7, 8, and 9. Well, where that correlated is those were the darkest economic times of my lifetime being a lifelong Michigan resident of 46 years. Um, so that showed that the ebbs and flows when the economy tends to struggle, um, 
people are looking for other things to do to supplement their income. Uh, it might be a case they've been laid off or downsized, and uh, maybe officiating is really the only thing that's keeping them going. Our biggest challenges here the last uh, handful of years is up until COVID, you know, our economy still was far from perfect, but was doing much better. And we have been seeing trends over the last half dozen years or so of our numbers continuing um, to go down each year. So part of that is economics. And if there is a silver lining at all with COVID, it uh, is the financial implication that this has had on so many people and so many families that potentially coming out of this, this might drive um, our numbers up. The other thing I'll share on this question is we do a lot of surveying. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a data-driven nerd, and we have, um, on a regular basis, we have surveyed our former MHSAA officials. In other words, uh, somebody's been with us for a period of years, and they don't renew with us. They've stopped officiating. They've stopped uh, the registration. Is we've simply asked the question of why. Um, because we think that knowing the reasons why people leave might help us in terms of our programming, in terms of our future plans, mm -hmm. and the data has been fascinating. So we take the survey uh, once every three years, and what we find is that reasons one and two by eight, a long shot, are that the official had a change in their job or family status. So a lot of times... Um, People are young and, you know, they graduate college and they start that first career and, and we lose officials for a while. Or somebody um, is in a relationship and they now start their family that will lose them. The, the second reason was that they simply aged out, that we're hitting a bit of an age bubble. And, uh, you know, that basketball referee that uh, reached their 60s or even 70s, that they've just decided that uh, this is the time. So really reasons one and two are are outside of our control now the that i guess is the positive part of the story and unfortunately the negative part of the story is then reasons three and four by a long shot and i'm talking reasons five six and below were much further down the page the reason that our officials are leaving is because of a lack of sportsmanship and respect from coaches followed by a lack of sportsmanship in respect from adult spectators. We're not talking student cheering sections. We're not talking the kids on the court or on the field or in the pool. We're talking about the way the biggest challenge that we all can control within the realm of high school sports, it's the way that adults are treating other adults. So we've really tried to take that data and feedback we're getting through that survey and have really tried to direct our programs at the adults. How can we get coaches to act in a more sportsmanlike and respectful way? And then obviously uh, that goes to adult spectators as well. So an incredibly long rambling answer to that first question, but that was the quick snapshot of, you know, the, the circumstances that really drive our numbers and uh, the two uh, groups that right now are, are focused number one for us are our adults coaches and, and spectators and that's our show for this week thank you very much for, no just kidding uh brenda you got a i know you got a follow-up question because i know every week we hear that and you ask the same question so go ahead with your follow-up question well it's, it's interesting mark because the the two things you talked about first of all the 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 economic downturn obviously we see this uptick but one of the things that I think so many constituents are working on is how do you how how do we keep them and how do we retain them? And to your point on sportsmanship, but 
you know, our survey and I think the NISO survey pretty much match that 70% of new officials are getting out before it, within that three-year period. So um, talk a little bit about a, a couple of the programs that you guys are presenting and working on with your with your schools in Michigan. So uh, retent, and, and so I said, you know, the, the focus every day in the office was on recruiting, training, and retaining. And I think a lot of us in officiating leadership positions really focus a lot on the first two. It's recruiting, getting that person in the door for the first time, and trying to really focus on your training programs. And I don't think we spend enough time being very intentional about what can we do to retain people. Um, around here, we tend to bring in anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 brand new officials each year. So with everything that we're doing through our, our mass media and our, our various social media platforms, we are spreading the word about the opportunity that exists for people to get involved in officiating high school sports. So just by the sheer number of new people that are giving this a try every year, we're doing some good things. That's the good news. The bad news is you take that group of 1,500 to 2,000, you fast forward three years, and we're right now hanging on to a little bit less than 25% of those individuals. Mm -hmm. So the challenge, of course, and, you know, I've got uh, our oldest is a college sophomore, and, you know, as they always say when you send your kids off to college, if you can get them through that first semester, chances are they're going to be able to stick it out and end up um, completing their degree. With officiating, it's how can we get this person through their first three years? Because you get that brand new person, and a lot of times you want to get them working before they've, they've had enough training to where now you put them out there on the field or the court and when they're really not ready. Well, now they have a negative experience, and now you've completely turned them off before they've even really had a chance to give it a fair shot. The other uh, huge dilemma that you get is, of course, your, your newest and least experienced officials. Where do we always start them? Well, at the lowest level of play. Right. And so if someone is a new basketball referee and your first school assignment is you have to go referee a seventh or an eighth grade basketball game, where if you called every violation of traveling, double dribble, <laughs> and called every bit of contact, I remember um, those days. My basketball games would take eight hours. Yes. So we don't help ourselves to where we start out the, the least experienced people with the least experienced players, the lowest skill level, usually the most novice level of coaches. And by the way, at the seventh and eighth grade level for moms and dads, every game is the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals. So right. what's key, I think, to getting folks through that first three years is you have to assign somebody a mentor. An experienced official, if we're not working together, at least after I do have those games where things didn't go uh, very well or perfectly, I can pick up the phone, talk to that mentor, and then we also need everybody today is about being a part of something, that I want to be part of this Facebook group or I want to be part of, of uh, this virtual association or that group. And when we get new people that sign up, those local officials associations, we've got to accept these new people in as part of the family that – you know, uh, we need to have each other's backs. We need to do what we can to get this person started on the right foot. And so we talk all the time about recruiting, training, and retaining. And what I would encourage uh, the listeners out there is retention needs to be uh, a renewed focus for us all. You're listening to Behind the Stripes on Indiana SRN. Thank you very much for joining us. Mark, I have a question for you. I've, I've had read some articles of uh, other states now 
because of the shortage of officials, they will play, for example, a football game. They will play a JV game at 4 o'clock in the evening. The JV game, uh, the varsity game will be played at 7 o'clock using the same set of officials. Is Michigan looking at that? I know Indiana has not looked at that, but is Michigan looking at that because of the shortage of officials? And that's just one example. Also, basketball, now the freshman game is played uh, during the JV time in two different gyms and the varsity game still being played using uh, the same officials. They're usually, usually working two games or possibly three games in an evening. So we've got different challenges in different parts of our state. Uh, one of the greatest things about Michigan is our diversity. You know, we've got some large metropolitan areas, obviously Detroit, Grand Rapids, Lansing, um, some Saginaw, Flint, some cities like that. And then we also have some parts of Michigan that could not be more rural, parts of our upper peninsula and in the Thumb region um, of our state. So if you actually looked at the number of officials that we have, and the number of officials that are needed, we're actually in pretty decent shape. The challenge, of course, is you don't have all of your available officials equally distributed as needed around the state. Mm -hmm. So in some sports, we may have shortages in our upper peninsula. In some sports, um, we may have shortages in other geographic areas. And in those areas of our state where we do have a hard time, and our UP is the best example because you've got many small towns with great distances in between them and just the travel alone. You know, if you were to tell an official in a metropolitan area of Detroit or Grand Rapids that you're going to have to drive 45 minutes um, to your closest game, they would tell you you're crazy. Right. Well, you tell that exact same scenario to a, an official in their upper peninsula, that might be their shortest trip of the season. Wow. So that's the challenge because we are so spread out. We are so different and diverse. Um, Different parts of our state are having to become creative, whether that's scheduling double headers or whether that's a league scheduling uh, two different games, but at the same site so the officials can work those two league games back to back so only one crew um, is needed. And even some soccer areas that instead of the normal uh, three person officiating system at the varsity level, uh, they're working with only two officials with the two whistle systems. So um, our diversity is one of our strengths, but also when it comes to the officiating dynamic can be a real challenge too. It is halftime. We'll join Mark and Brenda back on the second half of the break. Just stay with us. You're listening to Indiana SRN and Behind the Stripes. It's halftime at the Behind the Stripes podcast, powered by Indiana SRN, underwritten by the IHSAA and the Indiana Officials Association. If you would like to be a part of our sponsorship, please contact us at info at indianasrn.org. We want to hear from you. Contact Keith Myers at coach at indianasrn.org or Brenda at brenda at officiallyhuman.com. Now let's join Keith for the second half of Behind the Stripes, powered by Indiana SRN. Becoming a licensed sports official is a great way to make a positive difference in the community and support the over 160,000 Indiana student-athletes that participate across 21 IHSAA sports. Sports officiating allows you to stay connected to the game, become a role model for our young student-athletes, earn extra money, and support the patrons and communities of our IHSAA member schools. 
To learn more about becoming a licensed IHSAA official, log on to IHSAA.org officials today. Do you want to hear your favorite team on IndianaSRN.org? It's easy to do. Calling all the play-by-play and colored commentary. High school sports along with youth sport, Mr. Wizard is waiting for your call. Contact him at 317-443-0052. We're ready for every touchdown, basket, and goal. Contact Mr. Wizard, 317-443-0052. You're listening to Indiana SRN, God's Word 24-7, and sports. Welcome back to the second half of Behind the Stripes on Indiana SRN. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can contact Brenda at Brenda at officiallyhuman.com. My email address is coach at indianasrn.org. You can follow us on Indiana SRN on Twitter. Also, sad note, Brenda, a good friend of ours, uh, Damon Bailey, and um, lost his family uh, this week in a uh, car accident, and uh, I refereed Damon back in the day. Uh, Damon was an outstanding athlete, very good coach, and uh, I'm sure he will miss his family. Our hearts go out to him and his family. With us is Mark Ewell. He's the executive director of Michigan High School Athletic Association, and I'm sure you've heard of Damon Bailey, haven't you, Mark? Absolutely. I was a big uh, Indiana fan uh, growing up. Uh, any book written about Bob Knight uh, was required reading for me. And, you know, that was uh, the stories of Damon Bailey growing up, of Knight beginning to recruit him as a seventh and an eighth grader. And, uh, yeah, and, and from afar, always seemed to just be an incredibly classy person, yep. player, and, uh, yeah, heart, heart uh, breaks for the uh, the Bailey family, that's yep. for sure. And thank you for mentioning IU because I am a huge Boilermaker fan, so you and I are now off the <laughs> Christmas list. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Brenda, we got a so, few minutes left. Go ahead and uh, let's talk uh, a little bit more with Mark. Okay, great. Um, one of the things you mentioned earlier, and, and through Officially Human, we've heard a lot of is kind of the mentor-mentee program. Um, Mark, I've talked to a lot of my colleagues at the collegiate level and we need it in the grade school you know the beginner level but I also think that we need it at every level as officials start to move up in the ranks and wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it do you think that that is a valid thing that we need to look at for everybody because I mean we all have a boss right but we all need mentors without question and uh you know it. I've often, and at least it was my case in baseball umpiring, is I often, and or hopefully our golfers listening can, can relate to this, I think that the skill set of officiating and the talent needed is very close to a golf swing. That during your career, the golf swing as a golfer is constantly evolving and changing. That early on, that maybe your golf swing was really predicated on Great athleticism, um, you know, being able to really swing the club hard, being able to hit it out there an, an awful long way. And probably early on in all of our officiating careers, being able to run and to keep up with uh, the 16 and 17 year olds, that the physical attributes was the easy part. What became the challenge, though, is that those might slow down later on in, in both our golf and officiating career. Well, hopefully, those are being offset by some improved people skills and communication. So even, you know, I was lucky. I umpired baseball in the Big Ten for nearly 20 years. In the actual game itself, was quite easy to umpire. 
Pitchers knew where to throw it. Catchers could catch the ball to make it look good. Hitters knew what to do. Outfielders were throwing it to the right base. There were very few surprises at that level. Um, but where the pressure came is you were dealing with coaches to where this was their livelihood. This was not a hobby. This was not a side job. And so even, you know, having been on the Big Ten staff for a number of years, I would constantly, after each weekend series on the drive home or the drive to the airport, I would get a hold of those two guys who were really my career-long mentors. And even when, you know, it was perceived I was kind of at, you know, the, the top of that food chain, it was still saying, well, yeah, I, you know, the guy said this and this was my response. Would you have handled it any, any differently? No different than a great golfer, I think, later in their career who's constantly tweaking and changing and trying to improve themselves uh, to keep their game as good as it can. So I think the thing that all officials need to embrace is that once you think that you're done improving, you're probably done. That even those at the very and I think the reason why those at the top of their game uh, continue to either stay there or to keep climbing is because they're not afraid of constructive feedback, and a lot of times that comes from that trusted mentor. So, yeah, mentors are important for the rookies, but I think uh, they're almost uh, just as important uh, the further up the ladder somebody goes. Mark, you know, I officiated uh, high school and college uh, basketball, football, uh, whatever it was, for 25-plus years. And one of the things that we did as a crew, as a football crew or a, a basketball crew, as I had six or seven partners that I worked with all year long, is we sat down and had coffee at the end of the weekend and say, okay, where were you at? And here's some – and we would write situations that occurred – to help everybody out, and it was iron sharpening iron, and that got us uh, very uh, to a point where we knew some situations that maybe occurred. Do you try to do that with the association? Do you have uh, clinics and associations to maybe sharpen those uh, veterans and rookies? That certainly is, is I think, the goal of any good training program. That. Uh, What's interesting is that a lot of the attributes of a successful official is someone who is competent, someone who is decisive, and somebody who has no problem making split-second decisions. Right. What I've also found is that a lot of officials with these traits often are uncomfortable with some very honest and direct feedback. You know, we wouldn't expect any athletic team to play a game one week and to not give the, their game and their performance any further thought until next week's next game. We don't do anything to invest in ourselves or invest in our team to get better, to improve performance. And then when you just show up the next week to magically think that we're going to be a little bit better than we were last week, it just doesn't work that way. And, and I think that uh, we really try and work hard to try and create the right environment and atmosphere um, for crews to be able to have honest conversations that are, are uh, respectful, um, you know, don't tend to demean anybody, but yet it's a little bit like a family that sometimes you've got to be able to say to family members, to brothers or sisters, something that they maybe don't want to hear, but it's going to really benefit the individual and the family in the long term. And I think officiating crews have to be that same way. You're really like a family during the season. And there are times, especially after a tough or a challenging game, there needs to be some uh, some heart-to-heart conversation that can go on with 
out anybody taking hard feelings, but uh, your example of iron sharpening iron is, uh, I think, the, the, the perfect analogy in that situation. It's almost, Brenda, you know, it's almost like the lifesaver at the end of the game as your partner would give you a lifesaver and tell you the truth about things. <laughs> and, you know, maybe not eating nachos at halftime with the coaches is the right thing to do. Maybe that's what shortened my career. I wanted those nachos at halftime. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's what I've been told anyway by anybody that I've talked to about you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So, hey, as we as we kind of roll into the wrap up here, one thing that I wanted to make sure that we touched on, Mark, was how does how does the association in Michigan? How do you guys address poor fan behavior if it gets to your level? Obviously, we want the schools to address it as much as possible, but if it gets to your level, so. Um... What we've really tried to do, and we talked about the, the two areas of concern are the, the conduct of our adult spectators and our coaches, is the challenging part about fans is, is by rule, our officials really don't have any direct authority unless somebody throws something on the field or the court or, you know, obviously is, is using language that is just uh, completely over the line. But what we found in most athletic contests, at least at the high school level, that many fans and spectators often take the lead from the head coach that if the head coach is up just ranting and raving the whole time about every uh, possible call or no call, those fans are going to pick up on that pretty quickly. So what we have put in place is that any coach and even players that get ejected, not only are you required to, to sit out your next day of competition, but now in our state, you actually have to complete an online sportsmanship course before you're able to return to play. That is so, so if that cool. coach gets ejected on Friday night, okay, they can't coach in their next game on Tuesday, but if they choose to take two weeks before they do the online course, well, you're that essentially now just turned into a two week suspension. That's brilliant. So we're hoping that by monitoring and directing the behavior of our coaches, um, that that can have a positive impact on our spectators and uh, it's just one way that uh, we're trying to improve the culture. The other thing you could do, Mark, is you could get the officially human sportsmanship banners that Brenda has available for you. Don't worry about it, Brenda. It's, you don't <laughs> owe me anything for that. Plug. But that's, that's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> as we wrap things up, last question, and I would like to take that for you. With your son officiating, is there, and you've officiated and now grandpa officiates, is there like war stories that you guys talk about? Because uh, one thing that when my son officiated as well, it was Thanksgiving dinner was talking about histories and stories. Is there stories that you relate to him and to make him encourage, get him encouraged? Absolutely. And I think growing up with officiating in the household lends itself to that. I know my mom and, you know, uh, the wives now of, uh, you know, my, my two brothers that again, at uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving, the look down at the end of the table. And, you know, we're talking about, well, if the coach says this, this is really the best answer. And how do you handle that situation? And no, I've been very blessed to to grow up in an an officiating family. And, uh, it, uh, you know, my, my younger brother is a former minor league umpire of 10 years. He currently umpires, now in the Big Ten Conference, and uh, for a lot of years, that was, even though he was my, my younger brother, he was really my number one mentor, and because he had worked at such a high level, and it, uh, yeah, sometimes the officiating brotherhood and sisterhood is like a family, and in some cases, it is an actual family, and 
hopefully uh, some of these conversations that I've had uh, with my dad and my brothers over the years uh, is rubbing off on my own sons as, uh, as they give uh, officiating a try as well. That's so cool. As we wrap things up, Brenda, uh, it's nice to have Mark on board. Mark, we thank you for your time today. I know you're a very busy person, uh, but uh, thanks for spending some time with us. And if you're in Indiana, just look us up at indianasrn.org. And uh, like I said, my family is up in Michigan. you got a great state and it's very competitive in sports. And, you know, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Great to be with you both. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. As we wrap things up, Brenda, week number 19 coming up. We need to hear from you, fans, if you like to hear us uh, more. We're going to take uh, week 20. Once we get to week 20, we'll wrap some things up for a couple of weeks, but we need to hear from you. And, uh, Brenda, you got the last say here today. Well, next week we um, have a youth coach. He's been coaching youth volleyball for 20 years, so he's going to bring some really good insights. Um, from the coaching perspective. So looking forward to next week. And again, thank you so much, Mark, for being with us. You bet. And we'll wrap it up and we'll say goodbye. Thank you very much for joining us today on Indiana SRN and Behind the Stripes. If you have any questions, you can contact Brenda at officiallyhuman.com. That's Brenda at officiallyhuman.com. My email, coach at Indiana SRN. Follow us on Twitter at Indiana SRN. Until next week, goodbye, everybody. A show that supports our officials, athletic directors, coaches, players, and fans by bringing attention to good sportsmanship, strong leadership, selfless teamwork, and respect for others on and off the playing field. Thank you for listening to Behind the Stripes. Powered by Indiana SRN. You're listening to Indiana SRN, God's Word 24-7, and sports.